Well, welcome to this instalment of our CSA podcast series. I'm Mark Spencer, the Director of Public Policy for Christian Schools Australia, and today I'm joined by Leah Gray. Now, Leah's a new mum. Her daughter, Ruth Esther Gray, was born earlier this year, and that's another significant milestone for reasons we'll get to later on. Uh, Leah, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you with us. Um, let's start at the beginning. Uh, it's always a good place to start. Um, we, you grew up in a, a Christian family. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by that and what's the faith life of your, your family? Yeah, I, I mean, I had a pretty stable and, and privileged upbringing and it was, you know, definitely uh, a busy one uh, with there being six kids in the family. So, um, yeah, it, I, I grew up sort of watching my parents always involved in church and, and various ministries and, uh, yeah, I, I guess us kids followed suit as well and, and continued to actively live out our faith in, in, in our various ways. But I can remember... The faith was a big part of uh, conversation in my upbringing. Uh, so, for instance, you know, dinner, dinner times would often involve some kind of discussion around faith and biblical concepts and, and how that related to, you know, the, the trending cultures. Um, and, and I guess the older we got, the more robust these discussions became as we expressed our convictions and opinions. So it was very much a, a lively house, to say the least, but... Um, yeah, one very much centred uh, around following Christ. Fantastic. But you've said from what I've, I've heard that uh, growing up you never really felt you fitted the traditional stereotypes for a girl. You, you, I believe you wanted to have your hair cut like Grandpa and do more of the things that, that boys usually do. <laughs> yeah, I, I hated having long hair. I always wanted to, to pin it back and so the obvious conclusion for me was to cut it off like Grandpa who was, you know, obviously bald. Um, but, I mean, I can't kind of laugh about it now, but it was a, a genuine question at the time that I would ask my mum. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I seemed to gravitate to, to the activities that, that boys typically would do. I, I loved any sport that I could get my hands on. Uh, I loved to do things like mow the lawn and, you know, drive Dad's tractor, et cetera. Um, and I'm a pretty hands-on person, so I love to fix things and, and I grew a real love for woodwork. I used to spend hours, you know, in my dad's work shed using his tools to build things and, and all that. And honestly, all these activities are, are still very much my hobbies today. Um, so, yeah, I did feel rather different from the, that sort of stereotypical, you know, girly girl. Um, and in some settings I would invariably feel as though, you know, there were, there were eyes watching me, I guess, as people noticed that I was... You know, I wasn't quite like the other girls who dressed in their pretty pretty clothes and usually stayed in tours to play. I was always outside, you know, with the other boys and I had no concerns at all about how I looked or dressed. Um, but, yeah, I mean, heading into puberty, uh, I became, you know, a little more self-conscious and, and, you know, this growing distinction started to play on my mind, you know, a little more. So, yeah, it was, it was I, I did feel a little bit different. <laughs> So you, you were going on in church this time. How did you connect there? Yeah, yeah, I was. I mean, I, I don't remember a time in my life not doing church. Uh, I, I really loved church and it was a great place to make new friends and I owned my faith from, from an early age. I was really impacted uh, by God's word and, and we were exposed to some really good, solid biblical teaching, which was just valuable growing up. And we were pretty involved in, in you know, music and youth group and other things. So overall I had pretty positive memories of church. Um, when I was young, I, 
my Sunday mornings would typically involve having an argument with my mum about what I would wear to church, you know. Um, most times I would agree to wear a dress, but it was on the condition that I could take some shorts and a T-shirt and, you know, once the service was over I'd be outside playing whatever the going sport was. But, I mean, I still connected with the girls and mixed in their circles at times. But, yeah, like I've said, you know, I felt different and sometimes, you know, comments were made that made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but that was my experience in other areas of life as well, not just church. And, yeah, I would say that that's actually not an uncommon experience for any kid growing up with whatever insecurity they're, they're dealing with. But, yeah, I mean, I connected pretty well in church, never felt ostracised or anything. So this was, uh, without wanting to date you too much, this was uh, pre-social <laughs> media, pre-puby blockers and, and all that. Have you ever wondered now looking back how things might have been different if you'd been in that era? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, looking through the lens of, of certain ideological perspectives today, you know, you could easily say that I was showing all the signs of gender dysphoria. Um, yeah, this was never a thing, as you say, when I was growing up and, um, I just considered this to be a relatively normal part of growing up and discovering who I was. Yeah, I remember praying uh, that if God could just make me a boy overnight, uh, that would just make my life a whole lot easier. Uh, so I obviously had enough little questions in my in my head growing up. Um, yeah, and, and in today's culture, kids have uh, curriculum material, media, social media, TV shows, you know, even you know, teachers and psychologists who who may be telling them that, that maybe they need to align their body according to how they feel. So, you know, the fact that these days kids can have that sort of real instant access, you know, on the internet even, within five minutes they can be on a forum or be talking to a trans activist who's convincing them that, that they're, you know, a trans kid and encouraging them down certain pathways, it's really scary and... And we hear so many stories like this. So, you know, knowing my state of mind uh, as, a, as a kid, I, I could have easily fallen victim to that. And, and I'm really grateful to not be living uh, or growing up in, in a time like now, for sure. But you still, uh, you had those, that sense of difference and you went off to, to university. Um, and uh, that must have been a, a little bit of a culture shock. Universities tend to be like that. How was it yeah. that experience when you got to university? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so along with this feeling of being different, I, I was aware, um, you know, becoming more and more aware of, of this increasing emotional and sexual attraction towards girls. Um, and, like, yeah, this obviously conflicted with my faith. And to be honest, it was not something I dwelled on too much in my early teens. And, and I thought if I ignored it, then one day I'd, I'd it would just sort of disappear and, you know, I'd you know, getting in a relationship with a guy and I just sort of move on. And also I didn't share my what, what was going on in my head with anyone in my life. Um, I, I just thought it would just be my, my little secret, to be honest, and it would just disappear. But, yeah, as you say, I, of course, you know, I went to uni and, and the opposite happened. Uh, I, uh, In some ways my eyes was, they were opened up to this um it opened up even more to this life of exploration. You know, it seems to be the thing that people do these days, you know, when they leave home, they go to uni and they just spread their wings, you know. It's, it's their chance to, to explore things, explore whatever they fancy. And while my moral conscience knew that this 
you know, I, I had to be careful. Um, I guess my curiosity uh, found this kind of life appealing. And so over time my mind was captivated by this wilderness and it influenced my, my thinking. Um, you know, I, I had crushes on female students and uni lecturers and, and I just slowly got drawn into it. Um, and so, yeah, to cut a, a lengthy story short, um, I guess what initially appeared to be harmless relationships, they ended up being, for me, unhealthy relationships that became same-sex relationships. Yeah, it's a, it's a long way from that, that early church beginning. Mm, yeah, for sure. And my, my first contact with you, Lee, was around the, the, uh, the Victorian Change or Suppression Practices Bill, the bill that seeks to ensure that all people, regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity, feel welcome and valued in Victoria and are able to live authentically and with pride. Did you feel welcome and valued in Victoria with that bill being passed? <laughs> well, uh, you know, according to this bill, uh, the therapy that I sought after is now illegal and unavailable. Uh, the prayer that people prayed with me is now illegal. Uh, my choice to live out my faith and sexuality is now sneered at. Uh, the people that I spoke to in order to receive support and encouragement, they now risk fines and jail time if they continue to do that kind of support. And my story of freedom and, and change is now disregarded, it's ignored and even shunned. I mean, you know, the common emoji that people use to respond to my story is the vomit emoji. Um, and, you know, that's the harmless stuff. So, you know, in terms of this bill and, and the intent of this bill, uh, it doesn't really extend an invitation for people like me and it certainly doesn't provide an expectation that we'll be celebrated as many others are uh, if we were to authentically share our stories of freedom. And it's really interesting on the day that this bill was passed through the Senate during this parliamentary debate, one particular politician was asked, how this bill would affect those who consensually sought therapy in regards to unwanted same-sex attraction or gender confusion. And her response has stuck with me. She replied saying that such people, so people like me, were simply brainwashed and delusional. So ironically, had, had these comments been directed towards those who identify as LGBT, you know, such statements would have been claimed as hate speech and bigotry. Um, and while we can all acknowledge that, you know, members of the LGBT communities have not always been treated fairly and justly, it seems that in their efforts to turn the tables on that, they have literally put people like me back in exactly the same basket they came from. And so this idea of inclusivity and living authentically with pride seems to only apply if you fit in with their identity narrative. And so, yeah, I mean, this can seem all pretty demoralising and to some extent dehumanising uh, for people like me, but, you know, there's a real point of difference in my heart and for those people who share similar stories to mine, and that point of difference is Jesus Christ and, you know, it really is through him that we get our value, not through society or the government or the media. In fact, you know, that is actually how many of us have come to this place of healing and restoration because. We have realised that our value and our identity comes from Jesus alone and not from anyone in society. So, you know, even if we don't feel valued under this bill, uh, we have a personal saviour that, that trumps all of that. 
And that's been the remarkable story of your life is that that story of redemption and, and God yes. creating a new way in, in your marriage. You've, you've just had, had had your beautiful little daughter. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a very different world to the world that uh, this bill would really say you should be in. Absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, during the course of, of the discussion around the, the bill, you, you were actively trying to, to work and, and, and share your story and share your perspective. Did did you were you listened to by by politicians? Were you listened to by the media? Uh, look, we spoke with over ten politicians, I think, from various parties, which is not a, an amazing amount. Um, but we were, you know, grateful for those who did respond and, and were willing to hear our stories. Um, you know, their responses were very mixed. Most politicians were polite and respectful. They appreciated hearing our concerns, and and you know, some were uh, supposedly impacted by our stories. I mean, when it came to Parliament, you know, the debate in Parliament, you sort of got to know their true colours and, and not many of them were sort of, in fact, as impacted by our stories as they led us to believe. Um, you know, a couple of MPs mentioned our stories and, and attempted to speak for us, but, you know, they nearly all um, voted still in favour of the bill. Um, the select few who didn't vote in favour of the bill, I mean, they fought valiantly. They were amazing and, and they copped an awful amount of abuse for their stance. Um, but on the whole, you know, many simply didn't want our voices to be amplifi amplified and, you know, that was quite clear. I mean, in terms of the media, I had a, a few requests uh, by various, you know, mainstream media. Um, but, you know, as soon as I hear the, the details of my story, I'm very quickly sort of moved on and ignored um, we had a, a peaceful march in the CBD and, and had speeches on the steps of Parliament. And I think the, it was the ABC who wanted to interview me after my speech. Um, and so I, I waited around for them, but, of course, I was, I was told that they made a, a hasty exit after hearing my speech. And, and, yeah, I mean, this is not too much of an uncommon uh, story with, you know, ABC Talkback Radio were, were the same. Uh, they... They weren't too keen on on hearing too much of my story. I think I got fifteen seconds into my my uh, my little spiel about where I'd come from, and and um, yeah, they very quickly shut me down. Um, and just another really quick story. Uh, just recently, one prominent journalist insisted that I contribute to his written piece because apparently my story is important to share on this topic. And you know, he sounded all very positive, and he wanted to know as much detail as possible about what my therapy consisted of and so I told them exactly what happened there was talk therapy involved I had support from friends and family and informal conversation etc and he thanked me for the info and you know he said he'd get back to me on this piece you know next week well that of course was you know a couple of months ago now and I haven't seen any any piece come out of it so you know apparently I don't just I, I don't give them the the juicy details that they're wanting to report on. I'm sure if uh, if I included any stories of coercion or aversion therapies, then, then uh, they would have uh, given me ample airtime. But that's not my story. So, Yeah. And you, you talked a little bit about um, uh, others with you and, and, and stories of others. Yours isn't mm. an isolated story, is it? There, there are others who, who share a similar story uh, to you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are many stories of people who, for various reasons, have walked away from an LGBT identity. And, you know, we wanted to, to allow these people to uh, give them, you know, give them the opportunity to share their experiences. And so we set up a platform that enabled people to share 
not only their stories but also complete a survey that, that has collated some really relevant and revealing data on, on some critical aspects that we are exploring. So we were looking at whether people can change their sexual orientation or gender identity, whether such changes were beneficial, um, whether counselling was used and whether the change is long-lasting. And so we had 78 people participate, um, which is remarkable uh, considering that we really compiled the study in about 6 to 12 months. Uh, we didn't have any external funding or big organisations or anything. So, so um, 78 pill doesn't sound like too many, does it? But uh, the, the the Victorian bill, that was based on, on research they were quoting extensively, which had 18 people in it from memory? That's, yeah, yeah, they, they, they didn't have many. I think they've produced another one with, again, a very small number. Um, and so your survey is actually much bigger than the one that the government relied upon for, for their their uh, bills. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so th- I mean, this was you know we're talking about a, a government uh, funded project that actually was was uh, held for a much larger time frame. They had much broader capacity to pr- promote their study, and they really only were able to produce or only produced anecdotal evidence, uh, whereas we were able to produce s- statistical data. As well, so I think comparably, you know, we've been able to produce a, a lot more foolproof study. Um, yeah, so our project is called Free to Change, and you can view all these results uh, on the website freetochange.org. Um, you know, just to quickly recap, you know, the, the results we found. Firstly, that change is possible. You know, most of the participants no longer re- report experiencing gender confusion or gender dysphoria, and all have walked away from the the lesbian or gay identities, and many are also living in stable and happy heterosexual relationships. Secondly, all participants uh, have experienced other benefits such as significant reduction in suicidal ideation and anxiety and promiscuity and experienced increases, significant increase in physical health, overall relationships and a contentment with their self-image. Um, and thirdly, over 75% of participants reported that they have achieved these benefits by using the, you know, either religious counselling or professional counselling or a combination of the two. And so many also uh, specifically reported, you know, how prayer was a big part of their journeys, of which now, you know, as we know, prayer has been made illegal in this legislation. So this conversion therapy bill has literally banned the very support and therapy that is actually urgently needed. Um, yeah, so you can view these these fantastic this fantastic resource. It's available for anyone, and you can even see some of the, the stories that, that people have shared in the various formats on the website at freetochange.org. Um, and there are other websites as well. You know, changemovement.com, uh, twoprisms.com. Uh, there's plenty of stories out there. So yeah, it's it's available for people to see. You don't t- tend to see much of it in the mainstream media, though, do you? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, finally, uh, we know that other states are looking at copying this Victorian legislation and uh, what would you say to people in those states about how we can best support young people who are struggling with these issues? I mean, obviously in schools we're, we're dealing with issues with uh, young people who are trying to work out who they are, their identity in, in many ways, including their sexual identity. How can we, we best support them? Just just from your experience, I'm not putting you up mm-hmm. as the expert on, on this, but uh, just no, no, no. from you. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. This, I mean, this is the the trickiness about all this, particularly with legislations coming in. We we want to be able to help those who are genuinely seeking 
you know, counsel and support. Um, but there's also an appropriate level of caution as to how we go about that. Uh, we really try to ensure as best as we can to know the intent of the person searching for this support. But look, the bottom line is that everyone must be supported with, you know, an equal amount of grace, but an equal amount of truth as well. You know, truth can't be compromised in the name of tolerance and grace can't be compromised in the name of truth. So we really have to get the balance right. Um, you know, I, I always try and, you know, encourage people to, to look to the heart of Jesus and, and emulate sort of his compassion for people. He spoke with truth. Um, but also with an underlying focus to reach the person's heart. Um, he, he also never, you know, he, he let people make their own choice. So if someone didn't choose to follow him or follow his instruction, he freely allowed people to, to you know, allow their choices to play out and he never chased them or coerced them into following him. So, um, you know, it's my encouragement today for, you know, pastors or friends, teachers, you know, siblings, spouses, and I would even say particularly parents who are watching on as their, you know, if their child is struggling to navigate through these complex issues. My encouragement is to love them, speak truth to them, uh, but speak about God's unconditional grace to us all, you know, um, pray for them, but then allow them the freedom that God allows with all of us to choose our path and you know, in, in God's sovereignty and in his mercy, it's actually for his glory um, and that through our redemptive stories, uh, yeah, his glory is revealed. So, yeah, may we hold on to that. <laughs> That's probably a great, great uh, note to finish on there, Leah. It's been, mm-hmm. been lovely to talk to you again. It's been great to see you. You're, you're looking well. Motherhood's doing mm-hmm. you, you well. You're glowing you. as young mums are. So great yeah. to see you and uh, thanks for joining us uh, this afternoon on the podcast. Thanks so much, Mark. Thanks for having me. Thanks.